We are back for another Codex Cantina episode, which is just two guys talking literature, trying to make sense of it. Now, we spend a lot of time pushing ourselves, trying to understand this literature, organizing it, and then bringing it to a conversational approach for how we deliver it. And we've absolutely put more money in it than we've gotten out of it. So if you guys are considering supporting this channel, we'd appreciate you checking out our Patreon link at patreon.com slash the Codex Cantina, as well as Ko-Fi of ko-fi.com slash the Codex Cantina. It all helps us in running the show, along with commercials, guys. So thank you so much. We're going to do a quick commercial break, and then we'll get on with the rest of the episode. A revelation! But what does it mean? <laughs> it means change. No, that's revolution. Revelation. <laughs> Dang it! Dang it, teach me Flannery. <laughs> well, to be fair, with Flannery, it is kind of a sudden and unexpected thing and could lead to change, right? But the moment of grace is that moment when the characters realize kind of like God's intervention, if you will. It's, it's very close to the Joycean epiphany where it's not the result, like, like in typical Hollywood where you have falling action and resolution. It's the fact that they've learned something about themselves or learned something about uh, life. I was kind of thrown by this. Uh, I thought Revelation was going to be more biblical, knowing that how she writes. And there is, of course, that Christianity element to this story. But I guess I didn't think of this as almost a revelation of one's own self and character. And I love what happens to uh, Mrs. Turpin towards the end. It's uh, kind of a hopeful ending, right? Which is unusual for Flannery stories. So Mrs. Turpin and her husband, Claude, which at first I didn't even realize it was her husband. I don't know how I missed that. I thought it was the son. So I missed it too. I thought it was the son. Ah, okay. Okay. I wasn't the only one. I, I actually had son written at several points in my notes and I had to go back and correct them. I, I, I thought she was taking her son to the doctor. So yeah, well, I guess when you get an ulcer in the leg from being kicked by a cow, that's, that's what happens is you have to have your wife take you to the, the doctor. <laughs> But we enter into this waiting room and immediately it, it it wasn't apparent the theme at first, but once we got into it, the idea of class, the idea of hierarchies in life uh, becomes very apparent. And immediately Miss Turpin starts sizing up the room and you get an idea immediately with how like judgmental she is in terms of like the ugly one, the pretty one, the white trash lady. Like she's so judgmental and like her world just revolves around her standards, basically. We're all kind of like that at some point in time, or maybe you know somebody like that. I know that I've been sitting in the doctor's office before, too, and kind of looking around. And the first thing I think is, that person up front of me or are they behind me? Because <laughs> I want my appointment right now. But then you do kind of start looking around, and I don't know, we're, we're, we judge each other. We do. We're, we're humans. We're, we're animals. We're creatures. And that's what happens out in the animal kingdom. And we do the same thing of how we're dressed and how we keep ourselves. Appearance really does matter at the, the base level, right? And she's doing that just maybe a little harshly. Let me ask you this, too. Did you notice that Flannery always uses colors very intently? This, this girl had blue eyes. And they noticed that her face was kind of bluish from the acne as well. Uh, we always like to break down Flannery in perspective from the Bible. Blue tends to kind of be very heavenly, representative of the sky, representative as a way to heaven. And when I was looking at this, looking at it deeply, you know that when you see that and like a couple of different references around a character, you're like, okay, this is the character that's going to push our main character into their revelation. And that's kind of exactly what happens here is, is even though we talked about the moment of grace being so shocking with Flannery, 
it's these little clues that she gives along the way that makes her just kind of a master writer to lead their reader and reward a close reader with little clues and hints like this along the way. And the ugly little girl's name is Mary Grace. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Miss Turpin explains to us kind of the hierarchy in terms of like on the bottom, she not not above, right? We have the white trash and then we have African-Americans, right? And these two are the things that she recalls telling Jesus she would have been like the like lowest on her picks of who to be born as these, these would have been her picks, which we're going to get to that who to be born as here in a second. But then she has the, you know, land and homeowners, which is where she picks, you know, her and Claude, and then quote unquote, the highest hierarchy in her, in Miss Turpin's view of life are the rich people. She sees herself as rich, right? Even though they are kind of poor, from what I've led to believe in this story, they have land and they have people working for them on their land. So she holds herself in higher esteem than others. I think she views herself as like that, that got a little bit of everything. And they mentioned that a couple times in here. And she even talks about how people move up and down between hierarchies in life. So do you love the interaction as we kind of move forward here in the story of how the little girl is just like, I'm I'm not taking your crap, lady. I don't care that you think you're better than me. And her snippiness to her is, is wonderful. I, I, I cracked up. I was actually laughing out loud when I was reading this. It was entertaining, but it was also having, you know, us having read enough Flannery and kind of seeing the signs of, of blue being thrown all about her. You knew that this was her calling her out too. like she like almost like saw through Mrs. Turpin in a sense. And also there's even that quote where they say, Mrs. Turpin felt an awful pity for the girl, though she thought it was one thing to be ugly and another to act ugly. So you see that Miss Turpin, to your point, thinks she has this amazing disposition, right? Like, oh, well, at least I'm not a crappy individual like this chick over here. Uh, not for not for a moment, you know, not even for a second realizing that the world doesn't revolve around her, right? She thinks that because you are being crappy, it's not because I did something to offend you or to judge you or that you see through my own behavior. It's I put the blame on you. And that's Miss Turpin as she's, she's almost like this moral arbiter for this room, judging people where they are in the hierarchy and where you belong in life. Two things there. One, I think that it, it does come down all to perspective, right, of what Mrs. Turnpin kind of views as herself superior for all the reasons we've already listed. But two, it comes back to another ranking of people. And there's another subtle ranking here, I think, that she thinks she is the elder individual in the room. And that makes her better than everybody else. And that's something that is very common in, in, in American culture is respect your elders and how dare you talk back to me. You're just a child. You're not allowed to speak to me like that. But it, it, it's very apparent that you have to give respect to get respect. And Mrs. Turnpin is not respecting this young girl. She's immediately judging her. She's barely ranking her than her bottom class people. And, you know, she's judging her completely on her looks. This girl is obviously very intelligent, very well-spoken, and has the, in Miss Turpin's mind, the audacity to talk back to her elder. But she's in the right. So she should be standing up for what she believes, even if, you know, she is talking back to somebody older than her. She she's saying what should be said to this very, very, you know, hateful woman. Well, you bring up a really good point about uh, when is respect deserved. And it is very true, particularly in the South. Right. And, and Flannery O'Connor being a very Southern writer is going to write from like that Southern hospitality that you do respect your elders. And where's this girl from? She's going to college up north. 
right? And you have a big divide between the North and the South, particularly in uh, Flannery's time frame, that uh, there was a little bit of a difference of what it meant to be Southern. Yeah, exactly. I, it's so it's there's there's again there's so many layers of this story. You have you know the 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 class issue, the race issue, and now you have the regional divides of kind of North versus South still there. This is fifty or sixty years past the Civil War. That's still very apparent in this time period. Right. Well, and let's start talking about some of the race things because. Flannery goes into it at this point in the story where she starts talking about how Miss Turpin admits to how she treats the African-American individuals kindly to their face just to get them to do work. Right. Oh, because this it, is brutal. Oh, well, it, and we've talked about this in a lot of our, depending on the time period piece of, of the writings that we're reading that, you know, during slavery, the, everybody could look down on the African-Americans in, in the white community, even the poor tenant farmers that had nothing like they had like, one worker maybe or so and then you know when slavery gets abolished all of a sudden they're supposed to be equal in the eyes of the law right which didn't carry over into the hearts obviously and then that's when like you know you've talked before about like the poorest of the poor white people no longer could legally hold themselves over african-americans are like well this is why i'm better because of my race that got kind of wiped away, even though they still felt slighted in a sense. They're like, well, I don't want to be equal. Well, here you have, I think, a little bit of that commentary too, where Miss Turpin, you know, she views these people at the same level now as opposed to the white trash lady, right? Who's like, well, I'm just slightly better than them and like almost takes pride in how she's prejudiced towards African-Americans. Yeah, and there's that quote from the story that she said, they're going to try anyways, and, you know, the, the white trash woman, you know, um, interjects with this and says, you know, it doesn't matter what they do. They're still going to be lesser than than us, but they're going to try. But it doesn't matter. Yeah, it's it's heartbreaking to read. And Flannery is known for pulling no punches. Another thing she's known for is really taking kind of pot shots at other other forms of, of Christian religions and such. And uh, I couldn't help but wonder if there was some like Calvinist conversation in here. In terms of like you talked about like earlier that that destined to be this in terms of choosing what you're going to be in life and uh, I couldn't help but wonder if the white trashy lady she felt like like fate was an element of of she had to be better because of her race and that felt a little bit kind of like predestination in a sense too where she's like I know where I'm going in life and there's even a little bit of commentary by I mean I'm getting ahead of myself but by the end about who's destined to go to heaven and, and do your actions matter per se too that. Uh, I wondered if there was just a little bit of Calvinist conversation here, too, about predestination and where you're destined to go, and then also kind of juxtaposing that against the the Catholic view of grace and in terms of what earns your way into heaven, quote-unquote. Because you see how she clearly thinks it's better to be kind and, like, you know, you know the, the good Christian, if you will, good Catholic, I should say. But then she's very hateful, but I don't think she means to be. I, I think she doesn't even know how judgmental and centric she is to her thinking no I, I don't think she does she thinks that her worldview is the correct worldview she lives in a very isolated narrow mindset and she thinks that she's already saved that it doesn't matter what she believes or thinks or how she treats other people i mean she's treating her own workers terribly she's treating this poor girl terribly and you know she's very inconsistent with her christianity because it doesn't matter i believe i'm saved I'm allowed to treat people like this. 
And then you have this other view saying, well, if you treat people this way, you're not going to be forgiven no matter what. Um, so it's kind of a, a, a bizarre turn of events that this one interaction with this little girl is able to kind of change her whole mindset of her religion. Let's move into um, when the small African-American, I think it was a delivery boy, I think he was delivering something, came into the office, and immediately Miss Turpin turns into... Did you feel like she was trying to gain favor with the boy? Maybe not with the boy. Maybe she was trying to gain favor with with Jesus or God in the sense that she thinks that she's being nice to this boy when no one else is paying him you know, any attention and kind of maybe even feeling awkward. Uh, I, I didn't know if I was supposed to feel that way, but there's also earlier there was like, like that talk about the green stamps, which were kind of like customer loyalty. You buy, keep buying from this product and you can get rewards in a sense. Uh, is she viewing religion the same way? I'm buying into good graces. I'm doing these good actions. I should be able to get into heaven. I should receive God's grace if I do these little things and get my own little green stamps as a reward. Maybe. Um, I think when you see what happens directly afterwards and then when Miss Turpin gets home and how she continues to treat um, the people of color in the story, uh, no, I think that... I think at the moment she's trying to impress the white trash lady with how good she can be to these people that she sees lesser than be like, Hey, this person's lesser than me, but I'm still a good Christian. So I'm going to teach, I'm going to, I'm going to treat this person, you know, better than I should actually treat them because they are lesser than me. Um, and that's where we finally get her to kind of, maybe admit her own faults later in the story when she reflects back on how Mary Grace treats her for behaving that way. Because this is kind of the catalyst of the story, right? Of we have this interaction and then Mary Grace um, basically attacks her because Mary Grace sees what she's doing is, you know, very shallow. She's putting on a mask or a front. And then that's, you know, what she reflects back upon is, well, maybe I shouldn't have treated that way. And that's why the girl treated me this way. I wonder, like that book getting, like getting hit with a book. The first two thirds of this story is her judging, putting people in a hierarchy, having certain expectations of not listening but telling how it is, basically. And then, you know, one of the first things she does when she comes home is she tries to be nice to the African Americans that work on work for her, and like they're almost like doing the same thing. Of at least I took it this way that they were hamming it up like oh they did what to you and oh my gosh I would kill that person and I got this sense that for the first time she may have been I think she may have realized they're doing the same thing that she was of just playing up this face playing up this act uh, to get what they wanted in life and and I think that that is one of the first steps she took to facing I think truth in her life. Yeah, probably the, yeah, the second or third step, the the interaction with, with Mary Grace and then seeing her workers do to her what she had just done to the delivery boy is fantastic because, you know, she treats them like they're idiots or they're lesser than and then they come in and say, oh, I'm so sorry, you know, they're in the wrong. Like, yeah, she's like, wait a minute. Ah, I see what you did there. Yeah, and so, it, it leads to, yeah. like you said, the epiphany where she's like looking down in the pig pen and you have clean pegs and unclean pegs. And what's the difference between them? Is it just the way they look? Is it the way they act? Who assigns a status of clean or unclean to these animals? And, you know, if you remember back though, the white trashy lady, didn't she say she never even cleans the pigs? I don't know. There was something, some character didn't even clean the pigs because uh, it wasn't even worth like treating them well. 
And here they're trying to treat people well. They're trying to make people clean in a sense. And I took it kind of as that symbolism of uh, morality too, of trying to stay clean, trying to make the good choices and to help people out. Uh, is was one of the ways that I think you can kind of interpret the pigs. And it leads her to ask kind of like that question, how am I saved and from hell too? What a line in this story to the idea to be fallen and the idea to be imperfect and the idea that you're supposed to be saved. Like what, what a contradiction of emotions, I would say that is. And that's what comes down to like this whole story, right? It is just emotion after emotion after emotion it's it's gut-wrenching of that you have to experience all this with her and she believes these things to have to finally like almost break her spirit um and i i love towards the end there's a quote the sun was behind the woods very red looking over the pale of trees like a farmer inspecting his own hogs and i think she is introspecting of that she was the hog and she was the one that was unclean or unfit in, in in many of the faiths, you know, they're they're dirty creatures. They're the bad creatures. You're not supposed to eat them. And uh, I like that she was compared to that, and that she's having that revelation at the end of I I can be better. And you had the colors, like the red being the blood of Christ, and then even there's that quote that says a purple streak across the sky, with purple leading to royalty, leading to Jesus. And that's when she sees the um, like the stream of souls going up to heaven. And for sure, you had what she thought was the lower class people flipped upside down. Those are the people that are getting to eternal happiness, right? Then you had basically the middle-class people and either the ones that made good choices are making it into heaven and the ones that didn't, I'm guessing, didn't make it into heaven. And you see some movement of classes. So even though earlier we had Mrs. Turpin describing her hierarchy, we see that it's actually flipped. It comes back to Flannery being an amazing author. I mean, in this book, um, well over 20 stories and... This one is one of the mo most unique stories, right? It It's about hope and about change and that we can become better people and we don't have to be what life expects of us. We don't have to be what society expects of us. We don't have to be what our spouses, our parents, or our faith expects of us. We can just be better people. And that's kind of unique for Flannery, I feel like, because so much of her stories are, are very, very wrought with uh, not negativity, but strife. And this one, I love the hope that it gives. I could see that. I could see the hope there. I, I don't know what it is. Flannery, for me, has been grotesque. It's life is grotesque. Life is suffering is a very common thing that you'll hear people say. But I don't. I feel, I feel a little glimmer of hope in a lot of her stories. And maybe it's not worldly hope. Maybe it's afterlife hope. Maybe it's the hope that what we can learn from maybe even just worldly, even if you don't believe in the afterlife, like if, if you're not like, Hey, I'm not religious, but I enjoy these stories. You can still take lessons from people that live their life poorly and take that into your own life. So, um, dark. Yeah. Grotesque. Yeah. But I think always hopeful. I think always hopeful for Flannery for me. Did you just describe Flannery as a Sith Lord? <laughs> <laughs> if you want to follow uh, along with more of our sith lord talks we will leave a playlist down below where we've got tons of other discussions on flannery o'connor stories huge fan of her works uh please subscribe and join us on the journey and let us know what your favorite flannery story is we'd love to make sure that we cover that as well peace una out <laughs>